Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. for a director of quality a few months back at Greenlight Guru and the resume from Mark Alpert crossed my desk. I was so excited to have the opportunity for him to come join our team. And, you know, several months later, we're making great progress internally and a lot of really exciting initiatives. But on this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast, I have a chance to catch up with Mark a little bit on the state of quality in our industry. And, you know, we talk a little bit about, you know, philosophical approaches and mindset and things of that nature. But I think it's really interesting to get his take because, you know, he's had an opportunity to work with notified bodies. He's been in quality for about 30 years in those early days of ISO 9001 and certainly the beginning of ISO 13485. So he has a lot of context to share. So hope you enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. Joining me today, well, as a newer face to Greenlight Guru, Mark Alpert. Mark is the Director of Quality at Greenlight Guru. So welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, Mark. Thanks, John. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So from time to time, I've talked with some of our gurus in a meet the guru type of podcast. And I suppose this is a version of that, but I thought we could get into a little bit about who you are, you know, your history and quality and med device, but then talk a little bit more about what's going on in the world of quality in our industry. So I guess maybe a great place to start is give folks a little bit of a background, who you are, and I guess some of the highlights of how you came to be the director of quality at Greenlight Group. Sure. So thanks. So it began a long time ago. Um, I've been in the quality business, I guess we call it, for almost 30 years. I graduated as a manufacturing engineer and then quickly got volunteered for a quality project. And it's a funny thing about the folks in quality. Once they get you, they never let you go. And so I kind of worked on this project and then there was another project and another project and was working on my master's thesis. And this new European community thing was opening up back in 1992. And the European community to open the borders to allow the free movement of goods and services and product all across the European Union. And with that came the introduction of ISO 9000 as one of the standards, product-related or management systems-related standards to help bring some commonality across the European Union. And then I jumped on that bandwagon and wrote my thesis about ISO 9000 and the opening of the European community. And right about that same time, this bow wave came from Europe over there were very few people at the time that knew anything about ISO 9000 in the States other than their European customers were requiring it. And so I started getting lots of phone calls. And uh, so since then, that was early 90s. And since then, I've spent the rest of my career in sort of the ISO 9000. And that's what's just ISO 9000, say the certification body game, certification body, notified body industry. I was part of the North American startup for a notified body called Tubsud from headquartered in Munich, Germany. So I was employee number six or seven there. And, you know, Tub is a big, global large organization now and it's just the whole industry has just grown up the whole regulated the regulatory affairs regulated industry products systems has just grown up and i've had the opportunity to grow with it and so after spending 25 years or 24 years on the certification side of the business thought it'd be interesting to come to the industry side and see how the other half lives and that's what brought me to Greenlight guru yeah and i know i speak for the team as well as myself we're thrilled and happy that you're here at 
Greenlight Guru, uh, your leadership is taking us to sort of that next level, so to speak, when it comes to true quality within our organization, lots of exciting initiatives that we're working on and you're leading within the company. So, you know, folks, I guess here's the teaser. Stay tuned soon uh, <laughs> here in the next, I don't know, six or so months, maybe nine months or so, you're going to hear some really exciting things coming from Greenlight Guru from our quality side of the business. So pay attention and stay tuned for that. But I want to get into quality. You mentioned something interesting that I think there's a lot of parallels that are happening in the industry today from when you started your career. I mean, you mentioned you know, really getting in on the ground floor of when ISO 9001 was first being introduced. And hopefully, obviously, from then till now, there's been all sorts of derivatives and yeah. offshoots of the 9001 framework, you know, specifically in med device, there's ISO 13485, which, you know, has a lot of parallels to the quality system regulation from FDA, which came out in the late 90s, and so on and so forth. But I'll stop rambling and get to the point. I think today, we're also at a very interesting crossroads when it comes to quality for a number, or maybe there's a number of different facets. The first one I want to dive into is seems like it's a hot mess in Europe again when it comes to quality. So what are your thoughts there? Yeah. Yeah, I think I agree. <laughs> and yeah. So it seems to be the tale of a couple of different tapes. Yes, they created the European community, one more unified continent, but a lot of different agendas. And so as the medical device directive was first introduced, it was up to the sovereignty of each individual country to adopt and flow down those requirements of the directive, you know, for each country. And that led to a lot of inconsistencies and a lot of different interpretations and a lot of different... So flowed down as law in other countries, not so much flowed down as law. And I think that needed to be dealt with because it was creating confusion and creating inconsistencies and in requirements around the world. And so, of course, you know, here comes the MDR and the medical device regulation. And so the regulations make it much easier for every country to sort of translate into, into law. We're in the transition period, and that transition period is creating a lot of questions in both in terms of the interpretation of what the new requirements are, and there is a lot of increase, there's a great increase to the requirements. So there's a lot of interpretation going on and what those requirements mean. And it's not just the medical device industry, and it's not just 1345, as any of the ISO standards are revised and then published through a transition period are procrastinators. And so if you're given three years to transition, or you've got three years to, you know, for the product or the devices that are currently on the market till they need to comply with the new requirements of the MER, they're going to put that off as long as they possibly can. So there's a lot of companies that have existing product on the market that it's to some extent, almost business as usual till the requirements are forced on them, or there's changes or modifications to the products. And of course, are coming out in accordance with the new requirements. And so both of these things are happening at the same time all around the world for anybody who's manufacturing product into Europe and it's causing quite a stir. It's a, it's a dynamic time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, to your point, we had this transition period and we got a bonus year for the EU MDR yeah, uh, true. pandemic. But even so, I mean, you know, as we're recording this, I mean, we're a little past mid-year 2021. This all went into effect in May hey. of 2021. But I haven't heard a lot of success stories to date. I'm sure there are some out there, but I just haven't heard a lot yet. And I think to your point, I mean, not only is this new for the medical device companies, but it's new for the notified bodies and auditing organizations. It's yeah. new to the government entities as well. So, you know, hopefully it gets a little bit clearer because, hey, guess what? In less than a year from now, the new EU IVDR is in full effect too. So I don't know. I mean, I know you came to Greenlight from Tov Sud and was pretty involved in the activities of the notified body. But from then till now, I mean, have you heard any 
try to stay positive, but have you heard any success stories or I guess even horror stories about this transition so far? be honest with you, there are not many. You know, it's almost right now, the more things change, the more they're staying the same until everybody understands and really can sort of extrapolate the requirements or the interpretations of the new requirements into their and, and if ISO 9000 has taught us anything, which is sort of that granddaddy standard that we were talking about that first got published in 87, as that has been revised, you know, every whatever it's been, five years, eight years, 10 years, it's taken companies the three-year transition to catch up to the new requirements of the standard or the things that the standard is emphasizing. So, you know, the latest revision of the ISO standard, of the 9001 standard that's been emphasizing risk-based thinking and risk methodology, same with 1345, but that standard's been out for several years and companies now are just starting to really implement and adopt and change their processes in a way that they understand what the risk base really means. The risk-based yeah. approach really means within their management systems. And the previous revision of the standard, the emphasis was on the process approach. And yeah. it took companies five years to figure out what the process approach meant and to really incorporate it into how they do business every day. Same thing's happening now with the risk-based methodologies and the same thing's going to happen in the MDR versus the MDD. It's going to take years before companies can really adopt, implement, flow down and make it inherent in how they do business every day. Yeah. All right. I want to transition a little bit and come a little bit, I guess, closer to home to the internal operations of a medical device company. And I'll throw out a hypothesis and I'm curious to hear your reaction, but hopefully I won't get too long-winded in this. But one hypothesis that I think I'm seeing in 2021 is that medical device companies have lost their way when it comes to quality. And I have a few things I can speculate as to why, but I guess first let's start with that hypothesis is do you you agree or disagree or do you have a different hypothesis about where our industry is with respect to quality these days i agree and i you know just a couple things we could talk about that just that for a half a day uh, or at least an hour but you know a couple things just to throw out that i think a the quality profession is a little bit guilty here we've done it to ourselves to a certain degree and quality becoming not so data driven but so tool driven and you know the, the the basic tools of quality and it's really taken the gut feel and some of the knowledge and the hands-on approach out of the hands of the qualities practitioners and it's just become very mechanical. And the move to downsize, if that's the right word, the traditional quality department and incorporate quality into the organization is everybody's responsibility. And, you know, that's an interesting thing too. And it's everybody's responsibility is it anybody's responsibility. And it's easy to be a little bit out of sight and out of mind, I think. And so, but I think the pendulum has come back. And, you know, I've seen changes over the, just over the last few years where quality, the profession, I think is the aims are a little bit different and they're starting to be a little bit more of a tough a quality touch in organizations. I think we've got a lot of work to do, but I think the pendulum is starting to shift. Yeah, I have a couple other theories. So sure. one theory or question I wonder is, to your point, you know, we've kind of done this to ourselves as an industry, maybe as a discipline, but do we complicate things by, I mean, quality is sort of this ethereal, sometimes ambiguous concept. It's kind of, like, you know, it's like American as motherhood and apple pie. You know, some of these things that you hear, I mean, you know it when you see it and you know it when it's not, you know, where it needs to be, but sometimes it's kind of hard to define, you know? And so I think there's that. I think the other thing is it feels like at times we have complicated by things by wanting quality throughout our processes, our products, et cetera. But then we have this department over here who we call quality, this functional department. And while we say, you know, oh yeah, everyone has a role to play in quality. A lot of times, you know, the response is, oh, not me. That's that department over there. So I think we complicate things. Yeah, absolutely agree. But I would just say my... 
is a little bit broader. It's not just the quality department that's complicated things. It's the entire organization you know, that, that complicates things. And people, for some reason, are really good at making things more complex. Right. And it's hard for people to, to simplify. And even if you go through the audit process, so here comes the notified body or certification body, they're in to conduct an audit. There's some non-conformances and what's the natural reaction? Well, okay, let's turn that three page into an eight-page procedure, and nothing should be further from the truth. If it was a three-page procedure, it can remain a three-page procedure. If you've got to add some requirements or clarify some requirements, take the stuff that doesn't work out. You know, if there's corrective actions to take, people think that that means we have to make it more complex, more comprehensive, more whatever. The procedure has to be bigger. And I can say in my experience as well, that there's one thing that complexity it's non-conformances. You're building, once the complexity creeps into the system, you're just about guaranteeing mistakes will be made that will result in some non-conformances, really where the focus should be on just the opposite. How do we simplify? How do yeah. we take the complexity out of the system? And how do we bring back some of that creativity and stop with all the, you know, sort of the mechanical robotic approach to this? You know, I'm glad you brought that last part up because I've heard this many times, well, before and at Greenlight Guru, you might, I guess, a little bit about me. So my background, my upbringing in the medical device industry, as I worked as an engineer designing and developing new products, I got into quality, the functional quality area a little bit later into my career, but I always kind of fashion myself as a systems kind of thinker. You know, I see things like flowcharts, you know, in my mind, you know, the pictures of my mind are flowcharts, process flowcharts. And, you know, whenever I got into quality and started, you know, drafting procedures and helping companies implement their quality systems, I was a keep it simple type of person and approach, you know, remove the complexity. You know, if I could write a procedure that only includes included a flow chart and it was a single page, but it was understood and applicable and appropriate to what we were doing, then I was going to try to keep it that simple. But the funny thing about that is the naysayers, like, it's almost like they're, they're like, ah, oh, it's too simple. You know, you need to make it more complicated and you need a provision for this and a provision for that and, and so on and so forth. And the regulations say thou shalt do this. And I, you know, I'm like, where does the regulation say that? You, know, exactly it, right. you challenge it and the regulations are sufficiently vague, you know, and I love that about the regulations because it leaves interpretation up to me, you know? Right. And so it's interesting though, that, that some people have this point of view that your procedures need to be tens of pages in length and super complicated. I'm right there with you. The, the more complicated that I make it, I'm going to have a compliance issue. Maybe not so much from do we need the regulations, but can we actually follow the practices that we've defined? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And this might not come out right, but to be honest, when you go into an organization to audit, that's one of those rookie mistakes. You know, if the company is creating procedures, creating flowcharts or whatever it is based on what they think the auditor wants to see or based on what they think the certification body is expecting, yeah, the flag's going up again. That's no way to implement the management system. You implement the management system. There are shall statements in the state. If you're not meeting those shall statements, you got a problem. You got to meet those shall statements. You decide how to meet those shall statements and what works for you within the context of your organization. You know, how sophisticated, or if it's even a word, how unsophisticated can you make it? And that's the trick, you know, to your point, keep it simple, keep it as unsophisticated as your organization will allow. I remember when I was out auditing at a very large global organization, talking to the logistics 
was the vice president of logistics, which was an automotive company. And this was the guy who was responsible for getting the cars to their destination all over the world. Huge, huge role within this organization. We were talking about how to bring creativity back into the process. And I said, you know what? Just rewrite the procedures only on what you shouldn't do. You can do anything you want. Do it any way you want. Just don't do these three things. The guy loved the idea. I think he was going to take me up on it. I had to talk him out of it. I was like, we wouldn't know how to audit that. But that's kind of the mindset. It's like, you know, leave the creativity, leave the objectivity, leave the ability to scale. Don't tie yourself down to some, you know, nine-step process when you can do it in four, because that's really how we do it. Your auditor will love you for it. Well, a couple of reactions to that. The first reaction is I've been there on the sort of the receiving end of the audit where you get the auditor bias. And so much so that I've seen numerous companies do this in practice where, you know, okay, maybe there some of the procedures needed to be revised anyway, but they were taking what they were hearing from the auditor and almost regurgitating it verbatim to revise that procedure, right? Like in a sense, what they were doing, whether intentionally or unintentionally started to bias their procedures based on that auditor preference. But there was a positive reinforcement of that because the next audit cycle, guess what? Probably that same person is coming to audit during the surveillance audit and like, oh, wow, that's exactly what I was looking for, right? And so you go through this rhythm for a bit, but then all of a sudden you get a different auditor and then that different auditor has a different point of view or perspective. And so this creates this weird loop of activities. And I think it disenfranchises a lot of folks in companies because they feel like they're just dancing this weird dance with an auditor, always trying to appease and satisfy the auditor. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't disagree with what you're saying. And unfortunately, it's, it's kind of true. And unfortunately, I don't think there's enough. Yeah, the word's not pushback. There can be a partnership there. And it, it, it's something that can be discussed, you know, with the auditor in coming to some sort of better consensus or some better understanding. I mean, look, the bottom line is there's, there's three aspects to it. There's an approach that you've defined right. within your company. There's a deployment on how you deploy that approach throughout your company. And then there are results. And if you've defined an approach that meets the requirements of a standard, you know, throughout the organization and the results aren't dictating any negative outcomes, you know, or any trends in a negative direction, then what's an auditor to do? I mean, he might want to see something different or he might do it differently at his company, but at our company, there are no trends here. There's no data suggest what we're doing is resulting in any additional risk, is resulting in failure, is resulting in less efficiency, less accuracy, you know, all those kinds of things that's the reason we collect all So to me, my recommendation would be any of those little hints or allegations that an auditor would make, that's why they created opportunities for improvement. Don't, you know, put them in that bucket and see where where or if or how they would fit within the processes. And if they do, then, hey, maybe it's a great suggestion. And if they don't, then it's like, you know what, great suggestion, but it doesn't fit within our methodology. Yeah. The other reaction that I've had in listening to some of your comments is I think a lot of companies, I think their quest is towards compliance. I'm just going to say. Um, And I think in doing so, they, it's like they almost architect or design their processes and procedures and their approach in a thoughtless checklist type of mentality, you know, and it's like they're trying to check the right boxes on the form so that they can pass muster and be able to demonstrate that compliance. It's like they lose the ability to think for themselves of what's good for them and what makes the most sense for their company. Right. And that's another perfect example of how the quality field has done it to themselves because it's become this non-discussion, non-debate. It's black or white. Are we compliant or are we not compliant? And it's kind of unfortunate. And yes, you have to comply. And I mean, we're in the 
the medical device industry. We're supporting medical device companies. You know, it's no place to be fooling around and those products go on the market, have to meet the essential requirements, right? They've got to be, you know, meet the health and the safety and the environmental requirements that are levied upon them. And that's where the conformity or that's where the compliance comes in. But as important, you know, that's that's the ticket to get into the game. That's sort of foundational, you know. And then what? It's as important, if not more important in the long run, is the continuous improvement piece. And if your methodology and your approach is just to be compliant, where's there room to drive improvement? So compliant, you know, it's building a foundation that meets the requirements of a standard, but building a process on top of that or alongside of that, that helps to drive improvement over time. And all those compliance issues go right out the window because it's like, you know what, we're so far, we, we stuff's automatic. Yeah. I was talking to a partner of ours at Greenlight Guru the other day on an episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Her name's Christy Johnson. She's with Casoda Engineering. She says something that was a little profound to me. And I think I'd always realized this, but I hadn't ever verbalized it. And you know, when she works with companies, one of the things that she advises them is we're not seeking perfection. And I'm paraphrasing a great deal. I, I put my John Spear twist on it, but we're not seeking perfection. <laughs> you know, when we implement this, I mean, we're going to do the best that we can to make sure that our processes are as defined and accurate and appropriate as they possibly can be. But we're going to go into this implementation phase. And during the implementation phase, don't expect perfection. You know, there's going to be things that as we put it into practice, they're just not going to work. So I'm glad you're reminding us, OFI, is opportunities for improvement because a system or a set of procedures that comprise a system, the intent there is that we're living it, we're breathing it, we're owning it, we're refining it. And over time, because our goal, I think, is, I'll say perfection, but that's not really realistic. Our goal is optimization. Our goal is, you know, efficiency and thoroughness and that sort of thing. So I think people should stop expecting that their processes should be perfect for all occasions. But that's just the point. You're absolutely right. You know, when you go to an Italian restaurant where it's been in the family for 110 years and it's the same recipes, those meatballs start to get really good. You know, those are good tastes. After 100 years, they've got that recipe down. And it's kind of, you know, it's, I mean, it's a loose, a loose analogy, but a little bit the same here. You know, it's about the refinement. It's about adopting that mindset that identifying opportunities for improvement, or even in some contexts, if it's not too major non-compliances as the opportunities for improvement, that's the input that you're looking for to help you drive improvement. It's not, you know, again, it's another thing we did to ourselves. So the quality guys that got their bonus, you know, this year's bonus based on getting through an audit clean versus having a few yeah. non-conformances does nothing for the right mindset that says, hey, you know, what you just found there, that's darn good. There's an opportunity there for us to implement that and help to drive improvement within our system. And that's a good thing, you know, because it is a long and winding trail and can get, you know, muddy and bumpy and it's hard to travel sometimes, but that's that's the journey. That's the journey we're on towards achieving those corporate mission and vision and goals. Sure. So as we're wrapping our conversation up today, and I know we've talked more on the philosophical side of things, but any pragmatic tips and pointers or advice or suggestions that come to mind that you want our listeners to take home and hopefully put into practice in some way, shape or form? Yeah, I would just, you know, maybe again, it's a little on a little of the philosophical side, but one of the things when auditors are coming into the facility, of course, again, they're looking for compliance against all those shall statements within the standard. The other thing they're looking for, though, is they're looking for a sense of confidence. You know, it's that I'm from Missouri here, you know, show me kind of thing. And if you as an organization can demonstrate your that sort of plan, do, check, act, you know, that you're serious about improvement, there's process in place to help drive improvement, that even if an auditor identifies 
weaknesses within the system. He's walking out with that level of confidence in your ability to address that and make the system better or make the system comply in certain areas. And that level of confidence for an auditor, to me, almost goes further for an organization than it does trying to tweak all the procedures to satisfy him only to have the next guy in and say, geez, why is this so over-documented? You know, it's about how you operate every day and the discipline you sort of intertwine into how you get business done every day. And if you can sort of put that out, you know, have the auditor absorb that and have the auditor notice that while they're in that, that goes a long way. And I mean, for me, when I was auditing, there were plenty of certain situations where I was like, you know, this is, this is borderline stuff here, but you know what? I've seen what you've done over here. I've seen you do it in that part. I've seen you do it at your facility in Pittsburgh. I've seen you do it at the facility in Sweden. You know, I've got a pretty high level of confidence that this will be taken care of in the same way. And it sways me a little bit. And so, you know, for organizations to not worry so much about an auditor, be focused about their systems and how they operate every day, particularly in terms of how they drive improvement and how they have built a solid foundation that they're building upon. Yeah, I like that. I mean, to me, it's about intention. You know, as a company, I may not have perfect procedures and there might be a few errors and mistakes that I've made, you know, as defining things, but what are my intent? What is my intent? Am I doing things for the right purpose, you know, and, and the right focus, which I think to me gets to where I hope our industry gets or starts to realize is this need to make true quality a part of their culture part of their mindset where, you know, it is, I know it sounds cliche because the practice, the way we as an industry have implemented this has been poor at best, but quality is everyone's responsibility. I mean, at the end of the day, we're making medical devices and these medical devices are going to save people's lives or certainly improve their quality of life. So every one of us in a company that's involved in designing, developing, manufacturing, selling sort of products for medical uses needs to have this top of mind and front and center. And that should drive, you know, our decision-making. It should drive who we are, how we are, you know, and just like I said, our overall mindset and our culture with our companies. Yeah, I completely agree. And you know what? When we get there, the pendulum will have come back to the center and quality will be a sort of an interest in demand, a function or, you know, a sort of job in demand again. And people will start coming towards it because the results will be tangible and you see the results. And yeah, that's kind of what attracted me to it in the first place. So, you know, things, you drive some improvement and something got better. You reduced a hassle for somebody in some area and it got more. More effective, more efficient, less non-conformance, more cost-effective. That's kind of cool within an organization. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank Mark Alpert. Mark is the Director of Quality at Greenlight Group for being the guest with me today on the Global Medical Device Podcast. So Mark, thank you. Thank you, John. Pleasure. And folks, true quality. I mean, this should be like your North Star, your guiding principle to improve the quality of life. That's why I'm in this medical device industry. I know this is why Mark is here. And I suspect that's why many of you are in this industry as well, because you want to have a positive impact on humanity. Well, if that is the way you're functioning, you're operating, you think it from a mindset perspective, well, your processes, your approach, your methodologies should align with that as a company. And this is in alignment with our philosophy at Greenlight Guru. So, If you'd like to learn more about the Greenlight Guru medical device success platform, the only solution that's been designed specifically and exclusively for the medical device industry by actual medical device professionals, that I would encourage you to go to www.greenlight.guru, request a demo. We'd love to have a conversation with you, understand your needs, your requirements, 
And hopefully we have some products and solutions that can help you in your quest to be true quality medical device companies. So check that out. As always, thank you for listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast, the number one podcast in the medical device industry. And that's because of you and keep spreading the word, sharing the news with your friends, your colleagues. And we're going to keep producing great episodes, having great guests like Mark Alpert and others on the show, uh, talking about things that are really important in the medical device industry. So thank you very much. As always, this is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear, and you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Thank you.